Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Before we begin this morning, there's only one appropriate way for me personally to start, and that's by saying thank you to you folks. Uh, I realize that we don't know, Margie and I don't know everybody, and not everybody knows us, but we've been through kind of a troubling season in our life over the past six or eight months. There's been some loss, and there's some illness, and some things like that. And I just can't thank you enough for your support, and your encouragement, your cards, all of those kinds of things. So just want to just say thank you. And uh, I wish that we could just come by and say thank you to everyone, but it would the support was such that we just couldn't do that. We just, there's not enough time. And what I wanted to talk about this morning is something that I began thinking about as we've been going through this season in our lives. And have kind of pondered it and wondered about it and so on and so forth. But it's the issue of dealing with difficult times, hard times in our life, because we're going to have them. All of us in here, none of us are exempt, we're going to have them. And by hard times, I don't mean uh, just hassle times. You know, we all have hassles every day, and sometimes we make those into hard things, but they're just really hassles. Uh, An example from uh, last week when we were at my mom's funeral, the family was together and all the brothers and sisters were talking and we were telling stories and things like that about our life and this and that. And my sister has this classic family story, and this is an example of a hassle, but not a problem. And the story is, she was in what they call back then junior high, which is now middle school probably, eighth grade or so. And we lived a good solid two and a half miles from the school, I think. I really think it's about that far. And I'm not kidding about this. It was uphill most of the way. It was was downhill going to school, but it was uphill most of the way going back. And so it snowed one day in Little Rock. And in Little Rock back then, I don't know what it's like now, Lots of hills, and if it snowed, the place just shut down. People panicked. I mean, one inch was a blizzard. I mean, there were, there were no snow plows. There was no nothing. You just kind of slid around. So it snowed this particular day that we were in school and uh, that she was in school. I was gone. I was in college at the time. But anyway, it snowed this particular day, and, and uh, mothers were coming to pick up their kids from uh, junior high. And so she sat, it started at noon or so, and so she watched people leave and watched people leave and watched people leave. And by 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, it was basically empty. And she finally gets the note to go to the principal's office, and that was the sign that she thought somebody was up there to pick her up. So she gathered up her stuff and was all elated. And she goes up there, and the principal says, your mom came by and left you this pair of boots. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, there's deep, deep resentment. She's been in, been in therapy for years and uh, to this day panics when she sees a pair of boots. But, but anyway, that was a hassle, okay? That was a, it, was a, it was a frustrating thing. It was a hassle. But now it's just a funny story. It's no big deal. It's just a funny story. The things I'm talking about or want to talk about, they're not funny stories. They don't end up in funny stories. You don't sit around and tell them it's stuff like that. It might be cancer might be some other debilitating disease. It might be the death of a loved one, someone that we really care about, especially a child. That's just wrenching, and so some of us know. 
a relationship that has gone south, and some of us have experienced that. Divorce, infidelity, and addiction, you know, all sorts of things. Family members going off the deep end. Hard, hard stuff. Really hard stuff. And for many of us, the most difficult thing about that, or one of the most difficult things about it, I think the most in the long run, is where is God in all this? How is God working through this? And there's all, raises all sorts of very complex questions, hard questions. You know, where is God? Why didn't he say or do something? He's just dreadfully quiet. I've been through two or three seasons like this in my life, and it's like your prayers just bounce off the ceiling. There is no indication that God is even there or even cares or is aware of what's going on. And it's kind of devastating. It's kind of discouraging. It kind of rocks your world when that happens. What's the purpose of this? You know, people go through things and you hear someone say, well, God's got a reason for this and God's got a reason for everything. Well, I just don't get it. I don't see the reason. I don't see why things are better because of this. And that's what God is supposed to do. Why me? And by the way, that knife cuts both ways. Why me in a bad sense? But why me in a good sense? Why not me? Hard questions, really deep questions. Is my faith inadequate? You know, what have I done wrong? Am I praying enough? And we came face to face with that last week when we were in Little Rock for the funeral. Some very, very good friends of ours from years and years and years ago. Great people. You guys would have really liked them. Great people. And they were very conscientious, very caring parents. Did everything they could possibly do for their kids. And lo and behold, their son, who was a very gifted person, excellent athlete, good student, great guy, handsome, ended up getting arrested a few years ago for soliciting sex from a minor. They were devastated. What did I do wrong? Where did this go south? What happened? We prayed. We did everything we knew to do. He was in church. He was a young life. He was at this. He was at that. What went wrong? Devastating questions. What about all those promises in the Bible where God says he's going to take care of us and all this? How does that fit into this? Or how do we fit into that? Uh, is God mad at me? Worse than that, has God just turned his back on me? Hard, hard questions. Why does he deliver other people but not me? You hear these stories and they're great stories. Someone had a massive tumor or something like that. Goes to the hospital, gets ready for the procedure, and lo and behold, there's nothing there. God's healed them. Why didn't he heal me? Why didn't he heal Bruce Baker? Why does that happen? Hard questions that we have to grapple with. It's a very dangerous time spiritually. I would submit that the most valuable thing that we have is our faith. Nothing else impacts eternity. And this kind of puts our faith at risk. It's a very hard time faith-wise. We go through this, and there's no sign of God, and it is really, really disheartening. There was an early Christian, St. John of the Cross, in the 16th century. He coined a term that really sort of sums this up. He called it the dark night of a soul. Times like this, it's easy to feel hopeless and confused, discouraged, despair, dark seasons. And probably all of us have experienced that, and I don't mean this in a negative way but there's a good chance you will at some time in the future. How do we get through those seasons with our faith intact? Let me do one two-minute sidebar, if that long. This might lead to depression, but it's not the same as depression. Depression is a chemical issue for most of us. 
and depression can be treated and the depressions can sometimes be healed. This is more profound than that. This is down at a deeper level. This is a spiritual kind of gut-wrenching experience. So how do we do this? How do we make it through this? And I wanted to share just some thoughts with you that I've thought about over the past months as we've been dealing with all this. The first thought, to accept the mystery. To accept the mystery. And by accept, I don't mean just be beat down by it and say, okay, I must have to accept it. What I mean by it is to truly accept the mystery. This is a mystery, and the only answer we got is even though we don't get it, we just have to trust God. We have to accept that as we go forward from here. Uh, you know, when I think about why bad things, I can think about it on a global level. That's not that hard. We live in a broken world, and as a result, things are a mess. Uh, relationship is a mess. Weather's a mess. Health is a mess. All sorts of things are a mess. That's in a global level. But even with that, the bottom line is, I don't know. I don't know why God would allow such things. Why do these things happen? I don't know. On an individual level, it gets really complicated and really tricky. Why Bruce Baker this week and why not me? Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Or why me and not someone else? Hard questions. And once again, the answer is I don't know. We just have to sort of live with that mystery and trust God. I saw this book in the drugstore yesterday. I didn't buy it. But the title of it was Keep Calm and Trust God. And boy, does that sound good. How many of us think that sounds good? But that is really, really hard to do. That is really hard to do. That's big time stuff right there. It's bigger than a 20-page brochure. It's big stuff. And if we can't accept, if we just can't do it, I think we're in danger of two major things. One is we're in danger of slipping into some deep bitterness and anger. We're in danger of that, and that's hard, hard stuff. And it can eat away at us for years. I know people that have done that, eat away for years. Second danger is we start living with pat answers, simplistic answers to very complex questions. Questions, answers like, you just need to pray harder. You didn't pray hard enough. Or there must be some sin in your life. We've had people tell us that for different things. And we end up doing more harm than good. The real answer, if we're willing to do it, is I don't understand. The prophet Isaiah points out God's ways are not our ways. That's a tough one for us to buy, isn't it? Because we want to understand. We want to get it. We want to make it make sense. But God's ways are not our ways. And we have to accept the reality. And this is hard, okay? This is hard. We have to accept the reality that God does not owe us an explanation. He's God and we're not. And we need to accept that. And until we accept that as reality, I don't think we can deal with it in a healthy way. But that is hard to do. Second thought, be brutally honest when you're going through those times. Don't hold anything back. God can understand it. God's world is not going to fall apart because I'm upset with him. It's just not going to happen. In fact, I think he wants us to be brutally honest instead of just these little pat answery kind of things, these sweet little things. Great scriptural examples for it all through scripture. Here's one from Psalm 77. Listen to what he's saying. Just listen to this. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed, my hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. 
You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful song. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. That is tough stuff. That's not filler. That's not someone that said, gosh, we need a hard psalm. Let me write one. This is a... (laughs) This is the struggles of a desperate, desperate guy, and he's laying it all out there, of this desperate, struggling man. So number two, the best place to begin with all this is we start to deal with it, accept the reality, and honestly take it before God. I believe the best place to begin is to own our pain and confusion and fear and disappointment and take them to God himself. I personally, Joe, Believe that God appreciates raw, honest, gut-wrenching prayer more than he does sweet little pat answers. I really believe that. Thought number three, don't put God in a box. God will work, but he might not work in the way that we think he should, in the way that we believe would be best. The passage that really has meant a lot to me for a number of years is Isaiah 40. And let me give you the back the story. The Jerusalem had fallen. The Israelites had been taken into captivity in Babylon. They had lost everything. Everything was gone. They had lost their uh, their ident- they had lost their friendly. I'm sorry. They had lost their family, their friends, lost their their homeland. They had lost everything. Lost all their resources. They were broken. But the thing they really seemed to struggle with the most, that Isaiah points out, they had lost their identity. After all, we are God's people. God has promised he would take care of us. God has promised he would bring the Messiah from our people. God, this is who God is, and this is who we are. And what in the world has happened as we march off to Babylon? What's going on? God was supposed to take care of us, but he didn't, and the rug has been yanked out from under him. Their very foundations were rocked and shaken. I mean, their foundation they had built their faith on was gone. It was rocked. And they were asking, where is God and why hadn't he done something? What's the deal here? And they worked it down to two fundamental questions. Does God not know what's happening? Or even worse, does God not care what's happening? And that's a struggle. That's frightening. That's tough. And Isaiah's approach was God is still there. He does care. And he will deliver. But he might not be working out things the way that you think he should work them out. He might not be doing that. And he lists two ways to approach their situation. One is just through their own strength. Listen to what he says. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Even the best and the strongest and the most hardy of all of us, it's going to break us. It's too much. This is really hard, hard stuff. But then he lists another way. He starts out with a conjunction, a huge, huge conjunction. But, and here's option two, those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's a different outcome. You can rely on yourself or you can hope in the Lord. One will lead to brokenness, one will lead to renewal. There's three different ways he lists after that that God might work with us in those kind of situations. The first one is they shall mount up with wings as eagles. 
And that means there's going to be deliverance, there's going to be victory, there's going to be this. It's going to be a special thing. And that's a, that's a big deal. The, the labs will be okay when you come back. The cancer will be gone. Your heart will be cleared up. The relationship gets restored even though you thought it couldn't. Great things. And sometimes those are little things. I don't think Margie, I, I hope she doesn't. She's not here, so what the heck. But uh, no, I, I don't think she'll mind me doing this. I did it in the first service and she was still speaking to me. Uh, she, we went through some really dark nights when she was at MD Anderson. Nights where night after night after night she couldn't sleep. So one morning, uh, you know, just the situation was such, I walked in and the first thing she said was I slept. And we mounted up with wings as eagles just because I slept. And so sometimes God's going to do that. Second way, he says, run and not grow weary. You know, I'll give you supernatural energy almost as you go through this. And we experienced that too. Uh, one of the things that happened way back in February, we were supposed to go to MD Anderson. I guess it was on a Monday. And on a Thursday night, about 11 o'clock, we got a call. Her mom had had a major stroke in the hospital in Texarkana. It just felt like we needed to go. And Margie especially just really needed to go because we had to go to MD Anderson. And if we didn't go then, we might not make it. First time since college, about 11.30, we loaded up in the car and we started out. Going to drive all night. And I can't even stay awake during the day. <laughs> but, uh, we were going to drive all night. And lo and behold, I really believe that God gave us supernatural energy because we made it. I didn't even get particularly sleepy. We made it. So sometimes we will have what it takes to mount up with wings as eagles. But sometimes that's not the gift we need. Sometimes you just run out of things to do. As caregivers, when they're caring for someone that's terminally ill, you just run out of things to do. And then the gift is to walk and not faint. Just to keep moving forward and not slipping into despair, not slipping into resentment, not slipping into anger. Just to keep moving forward not yielding to the bitterness or the paralyzing despair. It's a great gift. It's a long way from mounting up with wings as eagles. You know, I get the picture of, you know, this one great victory and walking and not fainting, just putting one foot in front of the other and keeping going. God will get you through it, but it's hard. Thought number four, and we're moving toward the end. We just got a couple more. Act on the light that you have, even if it's very dim. And I apologize to some people in the Sunday school class that I'm a part of. I know I've used the example there and maybe other places. Our garage has a garage door. We go all out. It has a garage door, but it doesn't have windows in it, you know, that kind of garage. And then there's a side door, and there's a light switch by the big door. Not the garage door, but the door into the house. So the side door was open, and the, the, all the I needed to close it and lock it up, but the light switch was over there, and the light was off, so... Close the door, lock it up, pitch black, just completely dark. And so then I had to get from where I was to the light switch. And so it was a very slow, tedious trip because I don't have good balance. But you know what got me there? You know, on your garage door opener, there's a little bitty light. And I saw that light. It was small. It was very faint. But as long as I kept moving toward the light, I was going to get there. And sometimes, even when the days are very dim and the light is very small, we just need to keep moving that way. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I read years ago, and it's meant an awful lot to me. Are you familiar with the screw tape letters? 
It's a book that he wrote, which is a series of letters from a junior from a senior devil to a junior devil. And the idea is how to tempt a person. Okay, so the senior devil, Screwtape, is giving advice to the junior devil, whose name is Wormwood. And this is what he says at one particular point, where he's talking about one of his greatest fears as a devil. He goes like this. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a man, a human, looks upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken but still obeys. Sometimes we're just going to be called to do that. We won't know where God is. We won't need to get him, but we need to keep moving toward the light. And if we're willing to step out in obedience, even when it's dark, even when we have no indication is there, we'll make it through. If not, we'll probably slip into some darker places. That's tough. And MD Anderson, uh, they had signs all over the place, said movement is medicine. And the idea is part of your healing is to keep moving. Part of your healing is to keep going forward. And they emphasized that, and they had classes, and they were checking on you and all this kind of thing. Spiritually, that's the true, too. When we get into these spots, movement is medicine. Movement is healing. It's not easy, but God has promised us that he won't give us more than we can handle. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and will, with the temptation, provide a means of escape so that you may be able to bear it. But that's not easy. The last thought that I had is just keep praying. Keep praying even though it's really, really hard. It's hard to pray from those dark places. You would think it'd be more easy, but I think it's harder. It's tough. Uh, as I said, I believe God appreciates those raw and honest prayers more than the sweet ones that are just sort of pat answers. So keep praying. So how do we measure or how do we determine whether or not prayer is effective? Two thoughts I had real quickly. Thought number one. I think one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to pray and then think about how do we feel? Do we feel better? Do we feel peace? Do we feel relief? Do we feel this? Do we feel more hopeful? And that very well might be true. Those are good things. But I'm not real sure that's all there is to effective prayer. I think effective prayer is a little bit different as we go forward from here. Because basically, if we stay focused on how prayer makes us feel, what are we focused on? Our feelings and not necessarily on God. Tricky, tricky stuff, but I think we need to do that. Is effective prayer when we get what we wanted, you know, the thing that we wanted to happen? Is that what is effective prayer? It's just that, that we get what we want. Well, the most godly being that ever lived, Jesus himself, prayed the most desperate prayer that had ever been prayed, and the answer to the prayer was no. Because he said, if it's at all possible, Lord, take this cup away from me. Remove this from me. Take this away from me. And he needed, it, but not my will, but yours. He needed to go to the cross anyway. So effective prayer is prayer in which we become more focused on God, period. Feelings might be a byproduct. There might be all sorts of things that are byproducts. But the most effective prayers when we become more focused on God. It might be tough sledding, but we'll get there if we can do that. Much more that could be said. Many more thoughts, many more things. Uh, but as we wrap this up, 
I want to tell you a little thing that I thought about last week with my mom, because a week ago, yesterday, we were at her funeral. And uh, as you can tell from the boot story, she was a pretty, we'll go word frugal, uh, pretty frugal, cautious person. But one of the things that made me really heartbroken, just heartbroken, literally, was watching how her world over the last few months just shrunk, how it just broke down and shrunk. Went from being in a house several years ago to being in a duplex. Went from being in a duplex to being in three rooms in that duplex. And went from that to being in two rooms from the duplex. From that, it went to being into one room in the duplex. From that, it became a hospital bed. That was her world. And that was hard to watch. That was tough to see. But two weeks ago today, her world changed. Two weeks ago today, she moved into that magnificent future that God has in store for us. She moved into a world that's limitless, a world where there are no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more sickness. She moved into a better world. Paul says in Romans, in my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared to the magnificent future God has planned for us. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful side of the sons of God coming into their home. And the hope is that at the end of the whole, at the end of, at the end, the whole of all created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and may have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. That's the future right there. That's the future. So, as we finish up, just want to say one thing to those of us, especially those of us who are struggling, to those of us who are in dark nights of the soul, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And we can take that to the bank. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, I wish we didn't have to go through these dark nights, but I think as long as we're in this world, we will. And so I, uh, I just want to pray especially for those of us who are struggling. Because we will, and we will in the future if we're not now. And help us to remember, Lord, just remember some of the things that we've talked about. Help us to accept the mystery, to trust you and accept the mystery. That's hard for us. Lord, I pray you would help us to pray honest prayers, even though they don't sound very pretty or they don't sound very good. I pray that you would help us to trust you to give us what we need to get through this. I pray that you would... Uh, you would help us to pray effectively as we go forward. And I pray that you would just guide us and be with us. Lord, I thank you that if we can trust in you, if we can wait upon the Lord, it's going to be okay. So we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.